0: And welcome to the first and Ten podcast. I'm your host Patrick Feltz here in Indianapolis, Indiana, and today we are going to be recapping the 12th week of Big Ten football just one week left in the regular season. It is that time of year. You already know it doesn't get much better than this, but we've got a whole lot to talk about before we get to the final week of the year. What are we looking at before we get there here to break it all down with me in Nashville, Tennessee
1: back home is Reed Murray Reed, what's going on. Hey Patrick back home. Thanksgiving on the horizon, you know what that means, rivalry week coming up, some exciting football to get ready for, some exciting food to be on the table soon in a few days, so always just a a week that I look forward to all year. Yeah, I think one of my favorite weeks of the year, I'm a huge Thanksgiving guy, you know, a lot of
0: people like to to look forward to Christmas pretty much right when Halloween is over, we get to November 1st, or even we get to, to right about this time of year, closer to Thanksgiving, people start putting up their Christmas trees or decorating the ornaments, whatever, and I'm saying, hey. Let's pump the brakes. Let's look at Thanksgiving. It's a great holiday. Doesn't get much better than this. Football, food. Come on. You, you, you had me there. It's, it's all the F's. It's Wheezy F, baby. The F is for football and food. So, hey, Thanksgiving, great time of year, and certainly a lot of great football. So let's jump into what we saw this week in the Big Ten, Read before we get into the biggest week of the season to point to this point. Week 12, Reed, I'll let you kick it off. Who is your winner of the week?
1: I'm going to say David Braun. Kind of hard not to give it to anybody else after Northwestern yeah. became bowl eligible this week. Um, just we've, we've talked about it on this podcast many times, but a phenomenal accomplishment, all the difficulty in that program beyond just being difficult to win there because the, the resources, the team is not usually that good. All the turmoil this summer, somehow Braun has turned it all around. And again, we can talk all we want about how the big 10 is not at its strongest this year. The big 10 West is pretty weak regardless still a terrific accomplishment to get to six wins if you're Northwestern and a chance to get to seven and spoil their rivals opportunity to the to bowl game next week and a chance to get a bowl win coming up soon so lots to be excited for Northwestern on their end and David Braun absolutely deserves his flowers this week
0: he absolutely does Reedy. he's my winner of the week too I just don't know who else you could give it to and look this Northwestern team hasn't been perfect they've certainly struggled at points this year they've had some I think, really poor showings, namely the Howard game, the second half of the Penn State game, especially seeing what we've seen to this point of Penn State. They've not been perfect, but what they have been is remarkably competitive, remarkably resilient as well. They've been tough. they fought back. They've played some really close games against at least respectable teams who are going to bowl games, and they've beaten some teams who are, are going to bowl games. And it feels like every single week going into games, Northwestern has been an underdog including this week against a Purdue team whose season was already over in the final game ever at Ryan field. And I looked at that and I said, this is one of the more clear victories I've ever seen uh, for a a team. It just made too much sense. They had to David Braun getting that contract extension this week and, or not even contract extension, getting the contract period this week to be the head coach of this football team, the final game ever at Ryan field, as we know it. And uh, they were underdogs at home. It felt like they had to win, and they did. It's a real feel-good story this year that Northwestern has overcome the odds and become a winning football program again, Reed. I I think they've got to be their winners of the week as a whole program, and really uh, just looking at David Braun himself, I I think is the winner of the week there as well.
1: Yeah, and real quick on that, Ryan Field, forgive me for not being as up-to-date as I wish I was, but when is this new stadium going to be done, and where will they be playing in the meantime? Are they announced that yet? It has not been announced where they're playing in the meantime. This is all just via
0: a lot of Northwestern reporters I follow on Twitter. They're all acting like it's the final game ever at Ryan Field. I suppose it's possible that uh, the plans for the renovation get delayed, but the renovation is planned to start sometime after the season and conclude, I believe, 2026, but don't quote me on that. In the meantime, I, I assume they'll play at Soldier Field in Chicago because there's not another venue in the area that's going to be open every single Saturday in the fall. That's big enough to host their games or has the facilities to host their games because I don't know how much crowd you need always for Northwestern, but has to have the facilities, has to have the quality of field, has to have the space for the teams, etc. Can't be too terribly far away from campus. Soldier Field's really the only one that makes sense because obviously they've played a lot of games at Wrigley field, but that's an uncomfortable fit for football. And also the Cubs are going to play home games, throughout the month of September on Saturdays. And uh, that would be a whole lot of work for the grounds crew. Plus on Saturdays that they have games, you can't really do both. There would be a lot of schedule workarounds there. I'm not going to say anything about the Cubs playing in the month of October because they had that opportunity this year and completely blew it. But in the month of September, there would be a lot of scheduling conflicts for sure. So probably not Wrigley, uh, probably not guaranteed rate on the south side either. Even if the White Sox didn't exist, that venue just is so far from Northwestern's campus it feels like Soldier Field is what it's going to be going forward for Northwestern, which I think would be pretty cool, to be honest. It's a historic venue, and uh, it's in a cool part of town. It's right there off the loop. So uh, I think it would be a fun place to go watch some Big Ten football.
1: Yeah, it's true. I mean, I think it would be interesting to see if they did some sort of deal with it where they played the beginning of the season at Soldier Field, then Wrigley near the end once baseball season's over. But, of course, with the MLB playoffs going into college football season, it's hard to plan out when that first game would be whether you know you don't know when the cubs are going to be playing if they'll be in the playoffs but it would be a cool thing for them to explore at Northwestern.
0: I think so too. They're definitely going to be doing at least one Wrigley game a year and looking at Northwestern their schedule next year here in the first year of the new Big 10 uh, they've got a few home games in the the month of September including uh, I believe they they've got their game against Indiana, which I will be going to one way or another. Still don't know what stadium that's going to be in, but uh Northwestern is going to have some home games early in the season looking at their 2024 schedule right now. Yeah. They open with Miami, Ohio. Then they've got Duke also at home and they're still listing Ryan field as the home location for this, even if uh, it's kind of commonly thought that that's not going to be the case. Uh, and then To close out the season, they've got Ohio State, they've got Illinois, uh, both at home in the month of November. They've only had two home games after the baseball season would be done. So either Ohio State or Illinois is likely to be the uh Wrigley field game next year. Reed, that could be
1: a fun one, yeah. Um, uh, absolutely.
0: All right, loser of the week, Reed, I'll give it to you.
1: Loser of the week, I'm not giving
0: it to you, I'm giving you the floor to give your loser. (laughs) You're not, you're not my loser of the week, I swear.
1: Thank you for clarifying. Me. Not I this time. Week, we might have to have a little bit of beef, uh, but <laughs> yeah, loser of the week, I'm going to say Matt Rule and Nebraska, because this team is now really backs against the wall in terms of bowl eligibility. Looks like Matt Rule is going to be able to turn things around, get to a bowl game in his first season as head coach, and then just a complete missed opportunity, losing to Michigan State, Maryland, and Wisconsin. Still a chance to beat Iowa, and Iowa is by no means invincible, but It's not going to be an easy game to play at all. And three, not layups, but fairly easy opportunities. I would say Michigan State was a pretty easy uh, chance to go bowling. And then, Mm. you know, some other winnable games in Maryland and Wisconsin, both missed opportunities, both really in in some heartbreaking fashions. And overtime this week to Wisconsin by three points at the last minute to Maryland last week. So just a, a complete failure there unfortunate for him and and you know and there, of course there's still time to turn this program around and he has a great coach who's done it before at the college level but this was a, a great year to take a massive first step and it looks like that first step is is dwindling away
0: yeah I uh I'll talk a little bit more about this later but it just had to happen didn't it for Nebraska did this week, because now they're looking at their boogeyman next week, the Iowa Hawkeyes, who have won seven of the last eight in this series. Nebraska did win this game last year, but still, Iowa's been very dominant since Nebraska joined the Big Ten in this quote-unquote rivalry, if you want to call it that. This seems like a real uphill battle for Nebraska to get six wins.
1: Yeah, I mean, like you said, they won last week. So, and And, of course, Iowa did lose this year to Minnesota, so they're not this unstoppable force, but – They are not an easy opponent either.
0: Not in the slightest. Iowa finds ways to win every single week, just like they did this week, Reed, against my loser of the week. Well, not really my loser of the week, but at the same time, kind of my loser of the week. John Paddock, believers, going into this game, Reed, we were saying, what is Illinois doing? Starting Altmyer quarterback. They got to play John Paddock. Trust the hot hand. And then last second, change of heart, Brett Bielema starts John Paddock. Maybe he didn't get the full weeks of starters reps, and that can be the excuse for those of us who really had some faith in John Paddock and were excited to see what he can do, but only got his team to 13 points and they lost 15 to 13. Just not a great showing by the Illinois offense after they put up 48 the week before against IU. Man, I thought John Paddock had something, not a terrible game. He still threw for 215 yards against a really good defense, but just not what you would hope for from a guy who had one of the best quarterbacking performances the Big Ten's ever seen the week before.
1: Well, I don't think that makes us wrong for expecting at least a little bit higher of a performance level this week after, like you said, one of the best statistical performances we've seen in our lifetimes in this conference. And like you said, again, 48 points for Illinois. So I don't necessarily, I'm not looking back and saying, oh man, I regret what a bad take for me to buy in on. It was still a good take at the time. It still mm-hmm. could be a good take in the future. I I mean, I plays- got a great defense. Paddock could still be this this great quarterback who sourced to the top of the Big Ten's quarterback rankings. But yeah, this week just was not the moment. Could have been a great prove-it game to really submit yourself as as the guy at Illinois and, and a guy in the top of the Big Ten tier. So not established yet, but still a chance for Paddock. He's got plenty of time as a quarterback at Illinois.
0: Yeah, I'm not all the way out on him yet, and I'm excited to see what he can do going forward, including this week in a must-win game against Northwestern. In Champagne, So that is going to be a fun one to watch. All right, we're going to take a quick break here and be right back for the rest of this episode. So stay tuned. We'll be right back after this. Back here on the first and 10, ready to get into the rest of our week 12 recap. All right, Reed, game of the week. It's got to be Michigan and Maryland. Terps gave Michigan all they could handle down the stretch in this one. A few costly plays late. And uh, a questionable throw by Talia that turned into a safety, a few questionable throws by him in this game, to be honest. But it was ultimately that play that cost Maryland the game, as well as not being able to stop Michigan on that final drive. They came close, but not quite enough to upset the Wolverines. And then Michigan fans rushed Maryland's field. Weird day. Reed, what did you think about this one?
1: Well, the rushing of the field is just bizarre. I think – Rushing, I don't know.
0: The only time Celebrate really a- 1,000 wins, many of which are soon to be vacated, I'm
1: sure. Yeah, and I think also, I mean, the only time I've really seen a visiting field be rushed was Cal Stanford, which weirdly has happened multiple times. Um, Iowa fans rushed the field at Minnesota at least once before. That's right. Didn't they steal their goalposts too? They stole their goalposts that's at the Metro. That's true, yeah. But still, it, it's not something you see very often. And I get that it's 1,000 wins, but – You know, I think the criteria for rushing a field, many people, many rushing the field enthusiasts or truthers or Puritans or whatever, they'll say it has to be, it has to be either a a top five team or top 10 team. You have to be an underdog and or there have to be rivalry implications there. I feel like as long as it's not a beating a dead horse, as long as it's a rivalry, it's okay. But I still think there should be some sort of level of underdogness there. Or a top five matchup or something. It is really weird to rush the field on the road when you're winning for the entire game against a team you were favored by heavily with whom you have no animosity. It, uh, that's really strange. It's to me.
0: punching I, down like poor little Maryland.
1: Yeah. It's already sad enough that many of those seats were filled with maize and blue. And now, now and they got us on the
0: field. Pouring salt in an open wound by saying, yeah, then we're going to rush your field. It's so. So mean. It's just a mean-spirited thing. I don't know. Hopefully, Michigan can save that 1,000 wins banner though, because they can use it again in 3, <laughs> five years when all of these get vacated. So go go put that in a closet somewhere, Big Blue, and then uh go pull it out of storage when you get your next win against Maryland or Rutgers, and go rush their field or, or whoever. Maybe you can go travel to the Rose Bowl and rush UCLA's field and. Uh, the battle of the great public institutions that wear blue and yellow.
1: Yeah. But otherwise football wise in this game, this was kind of a bizarre one because you watch that first quarter, you see Michigan is just dominating Maryland. What's the point of even watching this game? And then all of a sudden, you know, you look back and wow, we got a ball game on our hands. Great third quarter by Maryland to get back into this one. And then a fourth quarter, both teams just kind of seem to be asking the other team to win the game, just giving them chances. Here, go ahead, take the ball, drive down the field, score on us, please. No, we don't want to do that. It was kind of a, it was kind of this game. It was like hot potato with the chance of victory as the potato, and <laughs> uh, it, it does kind of make me raise questions about Michigan because on one hand, I don't want to fault Michigan too hard for this game because it is sandwiched right between Penn State and Ohio State, the two biggest games of the year. Of course, Michigan, there, there's phenomena of the hangover game, and then there's the look ahead game this game is a little bit of both complete trap game against the Maryland team. That's, I mean, not phenomenal, but they're not bad either. And Maryland is kind All of known as a known trap game team, even in years where they are bad. They, they've been in to trap some teams or at least give some teams like Ohio state a couple of years ago and Ohio state last year, some trouble. So I don't want to fault Michigan too hard for playing a close game here, especially because out of the gate, they were on fire, but it does make me question the mental fortitude of this team, because when you're missing your head coach, I mean, Harbaugh said it today in kind of a hilarious quote. He said, I like my locker room how I like my mom's bathing suit in one piece. And uh, but he has as funny and as bizarre and as Harbaugh as that quote is. (laughs) That's so Harbaugh. (laughs) I mean, he makes a good point that in general, you need a locker room that's together, especially in a moment like this. And I'm not going to call what Michigan is facing adversity because it's kind of self-brought on adversity. But it still is difficult for the players who kind of had no involvement in this scandal. Or at least may not have been involved in the scandal.
0: Yeah, for all we know, uh, they I'm had so- JJ McCarthy on uh during the bye weeks
1: traveling and, and scouting these teams with a video camera, as far as we <laughs> know. Right, yeah. But um, you know, I mean more in terms of, of just whether or not they knew about it or whatever. In any case. Sure. In any case, it is still difficult for the players to not have their head coach who is their leader, who leads them to practice every week on the sidelines with them. So you know, in a moment like this, when you're going to play the biggest game of the year, two versus three rivalry game, playoff stakes, Big Ten championship stakes there, you need to have everything together from a mental perspective. Before you could play football and win a football game, your mind has to be right. And I think for a team to just sort of give up and not give up in this game, but but just let that grasp of victories just sort of slip away and let up a little bit ease off the gas, and really have a serious chance at losing this game. Like I said, Maryland had many opportunities to go out on the field and win this one. They did not take advantage of them, but they could have. It does make you question how much is Michigan all there mentally, especially when they're our opponent this week all season. All they've been doing is playing in close games against good teams where in addition to physical toughness, mental toughness has been at the forefront. I think it does have me a little bit worried on Michigan's end.
0: I've drawn so many parallels between this game and the 2018 Ohio State-Maryland game, which I think you might have brought up before, at least alluded to before, as this being the same week of the season, this week 12 game, one score at Maryland, trap game. Looking ahead a little bit, I think, to the big one at the end of the season, and there were a lot of questions raised at that time about that Ohio State team And are they really all that? They lost to Purdue. They really struggled with Maryland. They really should have lost to Maryland. You could argue Michigan should have lost this game. I won't argue that. I think Michigan was in control of it the whole time, but they absolutely had every opportunity to win this game, did Maryland, and they didn't take advantage of it. A lot of people ask a lot of the same questions about Ohio State in 2018, and they come out and beat Michigan 62-39 the next game. I don't think this is going to have an impact on the way that Michigan plays next week. I'm asking the same questions of Michigan that I was asking Before this game, I think this year's Michigan team, we have to ask questions about how are they going to throw the ball? How are they going to handle an elite group of receivers? How are they going to handle uh, a top flight running back? Because they haven't really had to face any of those this season. And Ohio State still presents all of those difficulties to them. I'm not saying, I'm I'm pumping the brakes. I think Michigan's going to be fine. At least they're as fine as I thought they were. Before this game, this is not going to change my opinion of them at all. They should have won by more and they didn't. But there's so much emotion and so much more than just football involved with every game the rest of the way. That, as long as they're in those scenarios, they've got the talent and I think they've got the coaching with or without Jim Harbaugh on the sidelines. They're going to be in these games every single game the rest of the way, whether it's Ohio State, just so much emotion. You really It's almost impossible to predict that one, even day of. I I don't know. I, I have to kind of wake up that morning and say, how do I feel? It's almost a vibes thing more than it is a football thing in that game. In the Big Ten Championship, if they get there, in the college football playoff, there's so much more than just football that goes into those games. Whereas this Maryland game, it felt like this was just purely football, no emotion. Maybe they should have shown some more emotion, too, but they didn't. They're riding on nothing but pure emotion the rest of the season, and uh, I think for that you can almost throw
1: this one completely out of the window. Yeah, I see what you're saying there. I think you make a decent point, especially bringing up that Ohio State game. Ohio State was in a similar situation, a worse situation. They were a two point conversion away from losing to a Maryland team that I, if I remember correctly, didn't go to a bowl game. So, um, and then like you said, they came on, they dominated Michigan the week after at home. So, yeah, this if we look at sort of trends, yeah, Michigan is completely fine here. But I do think. I still think there's an interesting point to be made about Michigan when, you know, maybe they are looking at, cause they had that 16 to three lead on Maryland at the end of the first quarter, the game sort of seemed a little bit wrapped up, especially after that, that punt uh, that safety from the punt block out of the end zone. It just seemed like Maryland wasn't going to be able to get back on top. And then they crawl their way back in. I think, you know, you look at the way Ohio state beat Notre Dame. It was all about th- that composure from the offense to to just go down the field in in a different, I mean, you were there in the stadium with me, difficult moment, nerves everywhere, third and 19 with under a minute left on the clock on 19 completion. I mean, that was just ice in the veins, Michigan here. It looked like a moment where they lost focus. And I think for Ohio state, Michigan, that's going to be a game. You know, you said Michigan is absolutely going to be in every game for the rest of the year. And I completely agree. I'm not saying Ohio state's going to march into Ann Arbor and just, you know, slap them around. This will 100% be a, highly contested game Michigan is not going to just roll over by any means but Ohio State has sort of been there right they've been in these difficult spots Michigan the the biggest difficulty difficulty they faced I would say the last two weeks against Penn State Maryland Mm -hmm. Um, I think one more point though is that this game does kind of show that Michigan is fallible because we look at the early beginning of the year and we say all right well Michigan you know they they didn't blow these teams out but UNLV has actually turned out to be a pretty good team In the group of five, one of the best group of five teams out there. With a real uh, shot of the New York Six. Yeah, and and they beat them by multiple scores. Um, The Bowling Green game still doesn't look great, but at the end of the day, they did what they needed to do, and they were without their head coach. And then once the Big Ten slate started, they just dominated everybody. The only team they didn't dominate was Penn State, but Penn State's a top-ten team in their own house with a packed crowd, so you can't expect them to dominate that one. You're looking at a Michigan team that once things got going and the Big Ten play got rolling, they, they couldn't be stopped. And now we're looking at a Michigan team that, okay, they're not perfect, right? They're still a phenomenal football team, sound in every aspect of the game, but they are not unstoppable. They're just flawed. like Ohio State, just like Georgia, just like Washington, just like Florida State, they have their weaknesses. They have things that an opponent can look to go after, and they're not always on 100% on the mental side either. Um, there's There's no perfection ball being played here. So that's another thing I think we learned this week.
0: Yeah, every single team left in the playoff prediction or playoff preview, whatever you want to call it, every team with a shot at the national title has legitimate flaws that can be exposed. And I think that makes it a really exciting year. As much as people, including myself, want to complain about, oh, there's no good teams this year. We don't know who's good, whatever. That makes it way more exciting because unless you're trying to predict it, which makes your life a little bit more difficult because sometimes these things can be easy to predict. This season, it's not. I think that makes it way more fun uh, for us as fans, especially when uh, the, the games are going to be so intense this time of year. And you don't you don't know who, who's better out of these two. Like If you tell me pick who's better, I right know Ohio State or Michigan. I don't think I'm going to have a good answer for you. And I think next day I might have a, a, the opposite answer. And it uh, it's fun. It's thrilling. But it's confusing. And uh, hopefully it leads to a little bit of chaos because that's when college football is at its best.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, we were having a discussion off the air beforehand about how, you know, you can say, quote unquote, nobody's good this year, but it is more fun that way. And it's, you know, we said that, you know, people always talk about the talent gap and the difference back when Alabama and Clemson were just always playing the title. Everyone complained about that. And now we have a year where you really have, we're looking at probably six teams at this point who can realistically go to the playoff. I mean, you could maybe, if all chaos ensues, Louisville's still in the race. And, you know, that'd be something really... the team almost lost to Indiana. Yeah. You're looking at seven teams with a path to the playoff. I mean, and I, and I don't think it's one of those where you have two who can actually win it and then, you know, six who can maybe make that fourth spot. I think you have six teams who could actually win a national championship, maybe five, because I'm...
0: I'm not you know, Florida State. Either way. Florida State, I have questions about, especially if Jordan Travis is not healthy.
1: But the is there this year and it's fun. It
0: is. It absolutely is. And I think you could say... Depending on how things shake out, there are probably going to be five, I think maybe six, depending on who wins that Washington-Oregon Pac-12 title game, teams who on Selection Sunday, you can say that team legitimately deserves to be in the college football playoff, and that's exciting. Yeah, I agree. Make an argument for so many teams, and and also depending on how the Alabama-Georgia game shakes out. There's a whole lot that has to play out still. We are a lot – A lot to be determined. A lot to play for. But for now, boy, is it it exciting. All right, Reed, Wheezy, or Player of the Week, actually, first. Uh, I'll be quick with mine. Malik Carr from Michigan State is my Player of the Week. Tight end, Purdue transfer, plays basketball as well. There's your fun fact of the day. Uh, Malik Carr absolutely tore up the IU secondary, which I think was an all-time abysmal secondary performance because Caden Hauser, who is the worst quarterback in the country coming into this game, 245-3. Touchdowns and two picks. Malik Car, hundred receiving yards, two touchdowns. Uh, he, he was absolutely dominant. He was everything uh, he was advertised to be back when he was at Purdue, and uh, then he transferred out of Purdue and didn't really do anything today. Coming in or not today, coming into this game, Reed, he had not had more than fifty-three yards in a game. He doubled that. He had two touchdowns as well. Michigan State, I think, is at least one building block going forward a ten.
1: Yeah, so for my player of the week, I'm going to go ahead and say Tyrone Tracy for Purdue. Kind of weird to—I didn't want to pick a guy who's on a team that's three and eight because the implications weren't really there, and his team lost. But 160 yards and a touchdown last week, 122 yards and two touchdowns—two of his his two best statistical performances of the year. Really turning it on lately. Um, Just it—it is kind of weird. We talked about Purdue sort of playing with house money. They didn't win this week, but they put up a good fight. Then they played really well against Minnesota the one the week before. And Tyrone Tracy is definitely one of those players who so is kind of playing with house money yeah. on this. And I think, I think Martin, or excuse me, Trayvon, Trayvon Henderson could have gotten player of the week, but I've given it to him many times early this year. So I wanted to mix it up a little bit and a great rushing performance there from Tracy.
0: Tracy's an interesting player to the Iowa transfer, Indianapolis native, former receiver. And he played receiver last season at Purdue converted to running back and Purdue has really struggled over the last few years to find that every down running back. They had Ethan Horvath, but he was more of a half fullback, half running back. And Devin Maccabee who played some good football last season, sort of the same. Purdue has really struggled as much as they've had great receivers and good quarterback play, especially with Aidan O'Connell. Over the last few years, they've struggled to find an every down running back. And in the form of a receiver in Tyrone Tracy, the Iowa transfer, they've got that guy. And uh, I think that's somebody really to watch for going forward. Uh, he could have a big impact in the old Oaken bucket game this coming week so good one there reed wheezy the week what you got
1: wheezy the week i'm gonna say wheezy f baby and f is for football in the modern world because once again just bizarre archaic football being played in the big 10 looking at this penn state rutgers game leading passer is with 130 yards drew aller on the winning team 79 yards six for 13 no touchdowns it's just you know how do you play like this in the year 2023 it's like it's 1923 now with the lack of passing on this team. F is for um, 50s. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, I, we kind of keep saying that watching Penn State play offense is, is a torturous experience. Uh, I still stand by that. We were big on Drew Aller earlier this year. Now it seems like we've lost faith in him, and so is his coaching staff. I mean, attempting 13 passes against Rutgers at home is, is just kind of bizarre. And then, of course, Iowa once again, you know, winning 15 to 13, very much kind of that old-school style low-scoring games week after week. And, You know, good for them. It keeps working. They're the number sixteen team in the country, nine and two, going to the Big Ten championship. So hey, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But still, just kind of bizarre that we are living in the twenty first century. And the highest scoring game in the or the highest scoring team in the conference this week had thirty seven points. Not that thirty seven points is small potatoes, but usually, just in college football, you have those games that go in the forties and fifties. Just a little bit, little bit crazy out here in the Big Ten. Yeah,
0: but it's so many games where maybe one team will put up 37, but then the others in single digits. Like, look, Ohio State scored 37, and the other team, Minnesota, had three. It doesn't feel like we get a whole lot of shootouts in the Big Ten this year, and the Big Ten's not that conference traditionally, and we got one last week with Indiana and Illinois. But even beyond that, it's just a real lack of modern football, and and I think, you know, you can play good, sound, modern football, and it still can be a relatively low-scoring game. Look at the NFL. Most of those games end up in the 20s. But that's not what we're seeing in the Big Ten this season. I think it's not just a Big Ten exclusive issue. Uh, There's been a real drought of good quarterback play, and uh, I think we've all kind of noticed it this year. In in the Big Ten especially, uh, with no great Ohio State quarterback and J.J. McCarthy supposedly being the best quarterback in the conference and him being a guy who last week uh, against Penn State couldn't even throw for – what, how many yards did he have again? I mean, it was what? Aller threw for 70, and I think McCarthy threw for maybe 60 in that game. It, it was ugly, and that was the
1: marquee McCarthy did have conference. 60 on the dot. Yeah, right.
0: it was – there you go. Well, good for me. But it was really just the marquee match of the conference. That's the best you can get, and I don't think that's the first time that's happened this year. It feels like there's been a a bit of lacking quarterback play. I don't think it's out of pocket to say. I agree. Weezy F, baby, and the F is for five wins. Yes, we're talking about the five-win teams again, including the Nebraska Cornhuskers, Reed, who for the last few weeks have had every opportunity to get to six. We keep predicting this is the week, this is the week. This week, Reed, they go to overtime, force overtime, really, with Wisconsin. I thought Nebraska played pretty well in this one, too. I was I was impressed by them. They had to lead at halftime. I like what I saw from Chubba Purdy. And then in overtime, they can't get it done. Wisconsin gets the ball first. Wisconsin scores. Wisconsin wins. Read this one. You just have to feel for Nebraska fans. I know talked about it a little bit earlier, but eventually their emotions, like, if they don't win this week, at what point do you give up as a Nebraska fan? Because I really feel for them. I do.
1: I, I applaud them for not having giving up, given up to this point. Um, or maybe, you know, you give up in your mind, but you don't give up in, in your attendance because those fans, they, they continue to be loyal to the team. Um, I, At this point, I would have in my head already given up. I, I would have the uh the sort of selective, op- selective optimism slash selective pessimism where you just, you go in expecting the worst, hoping for the best, but very much still expecting the worst. Um. Yeah, it's it's a it's a really feels so feels so bad for those guys.
0: The longest bowl drought in the Power Five, likely to extend unless they can get it done against the old nemesis, the Iowa Hawkeyes, a team who I feel like we've said this a few times about Nebraska this year or since we have started this show. Rather, they can just get past Iowa, they can get to a bowl, but uh, it's been easier said than done. Other teams looking to get to that sixth win, Minnesota, right now. They're sitting at five and six if they beat Wisconsin this week. Same thing we said about Nebraska this previous week. They get the axe, then they are going bowling. If not, they're done. Illinois, if they win the hat this week against Northwestern, they're going bowling. If not, they are done. So three teams in the Big Ten West sitting at five and six looking to get that sixth win. If we end up with a myriad of six and six teams, which I think is entirely possible we do if both Nebraska or if all three of Nebraska, Minnesota, and Illinois win or even just Illinois and uh, Minnesota, we could have a ton of six and six teams in the big 10 West, all really everybody in the big 10 West, except for Iowa and Purdue, the two bookends at six and six. How do you even determine who goes to which bowl game at that point?
1: Flip a coin. Honestly, I think regionality would be part of it. You know, put Rutgers in the pinstripe bowl because they're close to New York. Put, I mean, when, when there's no Midwestern bowl games, apart from the quick lane bowl, it is kind of hard to go regionally. Cause most teams are pretty similarly far away from the guaranteed rate bowl in Arizona and mm-hmm. the music city. At least that's against team. the big 12 teams, So maybe you put Nebraska there. Yeah. But yeah, I think it would sort of have to be, you know, trying to make good matchups other than, you know, different than just saying, yeah, putting the, uh, let me, let me rephrase that. I think the emphasis would be on the quality of the matchup or the, the quality of the road trip more so than, this record corresponds to this bowl game.
0: Mm. Yeah. Because when everybody's got the same record, records don't correspond with bowl games anymore. Exactly. Yeah. Something to watch for this week, for sure. We, we will get into it later in
1: the week. Believe me. All right. Let's finish this one up. Who you got to shout out, Reed. Who do I have to shout out? Um, I'll shout out my dog, Ivy. She was really excited to see me when I came home. More excited than Zeke has been in years. Maybe a little bit too excited. She was, uh, you know, this morning, I saw her too. She was running around everywhere, just but makes me feel really loved. Thank you, Ivy. Shout out to you,
0: shout out to Ivy, indeed. So, uh, the dog that they got while you were away at school, I think your freshman year, right? The Reed replacement,
1: yeah, yeah. Last spring, uh, the day after I got back to Columbus from spring break, they got Ivy, and then all summer got to bond with her. And she did miss me, apparently, as we can see.
0: It's great that the two of you have become friends, even though you weren't even there when she showed up. So, shout out to Ivy. Uh, I'll give a shout-out to a podcast I'm recording tomorrow, the Tommy Divine Thanksgiving special. It's a tradition unlike any other. Myself, Jack Carlson, going on that show and talking all things Thanksgiving, some college basketball, some NFL, and certainly some Thanksgiving food discussion, which always uh, is a, a heated debate that, that we have on that program. So should be a lot of fun. All right, Reed, that's all I've got. Thank you for listening. We will be back later this week before Thanksgiving for a preview of the final week of Big Ten football. But until then, for Reed Murray, my name is Patrick Feltz, and we will see you next time. Bye.